Campbell and along with Sam White, we're on a mission to help commercial breeders better understand genetic selection data. You're listening to The Data Breeder. It's about how you can improve your herd and put more money back in your bank account. The Data Breeder is brought to you by Bald Blair Angus and Elders Rural. Visit eldersrural.com.au to find your local branch. Welcome back to the Data Breeder. This is episode three. I'm up at Bald Blair Angus, east of, of Gyra, and uh, it's another beautiful day up here. I'm with Sam White, the stud master at, at Bald Blair Angus. Welcome, Sam. Welcome back to the show. Ed, thank you. Great to be here. In the first episode, we spoke about the data that you're collecting and the data that you're using and how you're using it. The most recent episode, we focused on those, uh, the data that sits around the sire side. We spoke a bit about indexes. We spoke about those traits that sit in the bulls, cradle circumference, semen mobility and morphology. For example, we spoke a bit about pedigree and of course we, we spoke about growth rate. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the, the mums, the dams uh, and, and the data that sits around that decision around which bull you put with, with your commercial herd. So, Sam, I know we spoke previously around that the breeding program is a combination of both the sire and the dam, isn't it? And breeding the same thing both times consistently won't lead to the the same outcome, will it? Ed, thank you. And uh, it's great to be here talking about uh, this aspect of our breeding program. And and you're absolutely right. You you get diversity in any breed program and you can breed the same bull to the same cow and their calf will not be the same. Let's let's have a uh, let's have a look at indexes on the on the mum side. What should we be looking at in terms of the index in particularly in relation to you know that mating of maiden heifers com- compared to your cow herd? Mm, mm. Thank you, Ed. So I- I'm going to start very broadly and then come to your come come directly to your question. First of all, what what must a dam be able to do? So a dam in our herd, in our commercial cow herd, she's got to be able to conceive at a young age. That is, she'll be joined at 14 months of age, she'll carve at two. Preferably, we'd prefer it if she calves unassisted because that means that we don't have to go out in the cold. And we wanted to get back in calf again and again and again for a period of up to eight years of age. So she's going to have in her in her working life, she's going to have seven calves if she calves from two right through to eight. Now that's, we, we, we have, ha- depending on whether we're recovering from a drought or whatever, we have held animals longer than eight years of age. Certainly in the seed stock operation, it's a little bit different because we put so much emphasis on continued genetic improvement that sometimes our ages, we're turning our genetics over a little bit faster. Commercially, essentially we don't because we're trying, what we what we try to manipulate in terms of our, our, our dam breeding is that we can change the bull every year. So if we want to bring really quick improvement in terms of the, the progeny of those cows, we change the bull as often as we can in that eight year period. So let's come back then to your indexes and I want to start by saying the same as I said in our second episode is that the most important thing is for the breeder, the commercial breeder to understand is what is their um, breeding objectives. And now we're going to talk about indexes. Now there are four indexes at the moment and these are selection indexes and they are to assist in your overall breeding objectives for what it is uh, that you want to do. So we have an Angus breeding index which is sort of a one that allows, you know, 
the genetic differences of animals in a normal production system, but it's a catch-all that you can breed self-replacing animals and those animals could go to the feedlot or they could go to the restaurant or they could go onto grass. All right, and then we have other indexes that are more specific. So we have a domestic index, we have a heavy grain index, and we have a heavy grass index. Those other indexes have different production parameters that are more specific. So, you know, for example, with respect to the domestic index, we're targeting a smaller or lighter animal that on shorter days on feed. For the heavy grain index, a larger animal, longer time on feed. And then the grass index, no, no um, grain feeding at all, all grown out of grass. So you can see there's, a, there's a, the Angus breeding index, overall one that, that's a catch-all, and then you have specific ones for each, after, for, for each other system. Now the, the objective, of course, is to understand what it is that your herd is doing. So, is, so for the Blair herd, for the Blair commercial herd, what we're doing is that we're targeting the long-fed the long-fed grain index, and we're self-replacing herds. So we use a combination with a lot of emphasis on HDI, or the heavy grain index, and we just keep an eye on the Angus breeding index. Because it is still important that we have attributes of calving ease. It's still important that we have, you know, we don't want to have massive big cows that are going to put massive feed costs into our production system as we're going forward. So we keep an eye on both, but the, the heavy grain index in terms of the bulls we're using our commercial herd are what drive our, are what drive our selection decisions. Your commercial herd, of course, goes off to Rangers Valley, Correct. Night, which is not so far away. How do you incorporate the feedback that you get from the feedlot back into your your decisions? And then how, how does that impact the data you're looking at? Yes, look, very important. So what we do, and, and everybody should ask for whether they're selling to a backgrounder or directly to a feedlot as we are. We always want to know how did the animals go for you and if you can access information on how they've actually performed at the feedlot level, then get that information. So what we, the first thing we want to know is, is our customer. Now the feedlot is our customer. Mind you, there is an endpoint, and that's our consumer. But in this instance, is the feedlot happy? If the feedlot's happy with how our animals are performing, we'll get the opportunity to sell to them in a difficult time. Right? Everybody can sell in a good time, but it's getting that ability to sell in a difficult time because you've created a product that they they can invest in and uh, finish and deliver to their clients. So for us, we want to know their growth rate compared to the pen average. We want to know, that is, how much they've finished at. We want to know how they've marbled and we want to know a little bit about the fat and the, and the yield of the carcasses. And obviously, if we can, the dollar value uh, to that operation because once you know that all of a sudden you've got price signals or signals that can come back to your business and say no I actually you might say well which has happened to us in the past our bulls sorry our progeny are not performing well enough in that long-term system now it may not be a genetic issue believe it or not it may be other constraints or other management constraints that are impacting on those animals in, in the lead up to their delivery to the feedlot. You know, feed regime, temperature regime, not having enough numbers in, in your pen size to ensure good representation of your cattle, immunological naivety. There are a lot of, there's lots of stuff that go as opposed to just genetics. But if we can get feedback from those production systems, 
we know what, and that's in fact what we do, and we know that we can continue to supply those markets in the difficult times. I guess the, the key takeaway there is you can't fix something you don't know about, right? So you've got to you've got to be you've got to keep asking the question and keep looking back at the data and back at your own herd data to see how those two um, interrelate and, and look at what you can actually do. And like you say, that can be a, a management decision as much as a, a, a genetic decision. Uh, absolutely, and absolutely indeed, that's in fact happy to us. But that's a. Uh Another story for perhaps next year. So we go back to, we go, so, so yes, yes, yes to all, but we go back to what it is that we want in a dam. We want the dam to be able to conceive at a young age, to carve unassisted and to get back in calf again and again and again. In other words, she stays in the herd. All right, so we have a, you know, if we're going to use in our system the, the heavy grain index with a little bit of idea on the breeding index, you'll find that you know, feedlotters want growth yield and IMF. We don't want just those in a breeding program. We want calving ease, fertility, and growth in carcass. So w- when we're looking at the dam, we've got to go, we want to have a little bit of those other attributes as well. So there's a bit of a compromise, if you know what I mean. You don't have to necessarily be the top one for growth, provided you've got your marbling there, if you know what I mean. Yep. If you need to find the right genetics to meet your commercial ambitions, Give Sam and Kirsty a call on 0438 792 140 or 026779 2141. Email via samwhite at baldblair.com.au or visit au. All listeners of the podcast will receive a free stay at Kelly's Cottage on Farm at Bald Blair Angus when they visit. We've got the sale catalogue out and encourage everyone to jump on the Bald Blair Angus website and order a sale catalogue so we can get it out to you so you can start looking at some of this data. So if we look at that, we're, we're looking at a couple of attributes around the dam, calving ease, and there's a couple of measures in there that's uh, calving ease direct and calving ease daughters. How do those relate to, to each other and how should we think about those numbers? Right, so remember, you know, in, in a, a great question. So remember, First of all, that we used to have this, our, our education was that the bull contributed half and the cow contributed half. What we do know now as a consequence of the more recent research is that the uh, genomics component suggests that sometimes a bull may offer a little, may contribute a little bit more to the progeny than the cow, and sometimes the cow may produce a little bit more than the bull to the progeny. So it's always important to remember that there are two, two aspects to everything. The cow contributes a component to the progeny and the bull contributes a, a, a component to the progeny. Now let's go back to one of the things that I said in terms of calving ease is a combination, and these are contributed by sire and dam and are measured by sire and dam. Sire and dam. So birth weight and gestation length, they're pretty, pretty, pretty easy things to understand. The physical birth weight, in a, in a commercial cow herd, you generally do not weigh a lot of your commercial calves. Some people do, but generally most people don't. You have an opportunity to influence calf size by having them calve a few days earlier. All right, so that trait we use, a gestation length. We have calving ease direct. That is simply, what that is, is simply the, the impact of the bull and his ability to join to a number of cows and do any of those calves have difficulty, all right? And then we have calving ease maternal. Calving ease maternal is the daughters of the bull. So generally, you'll find one of those will start to show in numbers and accuracy a year or two before the other because 
obviously, if I join a bull this year and he carves next year, we know his direct carving ability, but we don't know his daughters yet because it's going to be another three years before they're there. So when we're doing this and we're looking at the bulls that we've got on offer, we look at the opportunity to combine all of those attributes. And and we've got to keep it balanced because carving is growth carcass and fertility, you know, they're all important rather than focusing on just one aspect and one trait. So we want to have very positive calving ease, we want to have negative gestation length, and we want to have, if we can, breed average or less for birth weight. So just so I get it right in my mind, that negative gestation period is when the calf lands at less than the average for the herd. Is that uh, less than average for the breed? Yes, for the abs- breed. absolutely. Okay. So you you can carve. So so if you look at gestation length, there's a measure there. What that says is that 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 animal. So if we have a gestation length of minus six, remembering that that bull contributes up to fifty percent and the cow contributes a component. Now, while the bull may contribute six, it doesn't mean the calf will come six days earlier because we don't have a feel for what the cow's going to do. In a lot of commercial herds, you won't know, but we do know that most likely they, they could come up to three days early. Let's move on to survivability, how it's measured and what are we looking at there? Yeah, look, there's, there's really important things here in terms of how we, how we measure cows in a commercial herd. We've got a number of attributes that we can measure. We can re- measure the peg, peg test rate because usually th- that's your first indicator of how well your bull's performed. And the next, of course, is your weaning rate. That is cows to ca- uh, calves to cows joined. If you want to and you've got the time and a lot of commercial herds you don't, you can actually, and, and it requires effort in terms of cow-calf mothering. You can actually get a calf weight and a cow weight at weaning. And then you can do a ratio of the, ca- of the weaning weight of the calf to the cow. And those animals that are producing smaller calves, you know, that it could be, it could be that they're lower milkers. It could be that they haven't got in calf in the first or the second cycle, but only in the third, why? And the other issue is, is if they did get in calf in the early cycle and they've got a small calf, they've put more of their emphasis or more of their nutrition into themselves and into their calf. Is she efficient cow? Well, if you've got another other, enough other cows coming on, you can deal with it. The other one, of course, talking about stability in herd is number of cows retained of bloodlines. So number of cows that are still in your herd after three, four or five years. Picking up on that, you said you used the word not survivability, but... Stability. Um, yeah, so, and, and that's the way to think of that, num- of that number, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's ha- what contribution she's making over time to the herd. That's right, yes. Is that the way to think yes. about it? Yes, simply because, remember, you, you, it's too expensive to change a cow over, herd over in the short generation. You can change a bull more cheaply and equip- quickly and impact the progeny of that cow over that eight-year period. That's why it, it, it always remains important that the bulls you buy, remember, if you're in a self-replacing herd, you're going to breed X number of females, and those females are going to contribute to your breeding program for X years. Moving on, weaning rate. Again, what's the parameters here, and, and how do we measure? What should we be? Well, what should we look at? Co- commercially, um, you know, here we want pregnancy rates. You know, we want a pregnancy rate in our herd of ninety percent plus, and that's you know that's in this production system here, and it may not be the same anywhere else. But we've set it as our objective commercially, and then when we look at the weaning rate, we want to be able to say, well, we've weaned. If we've got a pregnancy rate of ninety-one percent, it's number of calves weaned to cows joined. 
All right, it's really simple. We might lose one or two calves in that period. We don't want to lose too many. So we might have 88 or 89% calves weaned to cows to cows bred. Remembering that you're not going to keep your empty cows. As soon as those calves are weaned, we want to shift those on. And we generally look, when you look at the numbers, we work on a basis of, you know, 10% of each drop will drop off year on year for fertility or potential other potential issues of structure or health that may that may lead to those animals falling out of the system. Milk, now I guess that one's pretty straightforward, but what should we be thinking about? Well, you know, it, it, does, it does sound straightforward, but the most important thing here is to understand that in the New England high milk, but if you get into a fairly strong environment, a high milk animal may, uh, what we may find is that while they'll contribute it to the daughters, those daughters may be in a situation where they're producing too much milk and they'll put it all into their calves and then they won't rebreed. That that the importance of rebreeding, the importance of fertility, you can't just you can't just leave it. You've just got to keep focusing on it all the time. So milk, so so milk. In terms of choosing milk, you know, generally in this environment, in those sort of southern environments, a, a good milk number is important. If we go north, we don't necessarily have to have animals in the top. 10 to 15 or 20 percent of the breed. There's some other data points to uh, here too to consider. Mature, mature cow weight, for example. Mm, mm. How do we take those into account? What are we thinking there? Well, you know, it, this will become a personal objective and a, and a, and a personal decision for, for every breeder in terms of their systems. So for us, <clears throat> we'd like to restrict mature cow weight but continue to get growth rates. We can do that with genetic selection over time. So as I said in one of the previous episodes is we'd like to think we can breed everything with growth growing and have it limited to 100. Well, you know, the normal bell curve distribution of a population of animals shows that not everything is that specific and you will get variation, some above that parameters and some, some not. So we put emphasis on it when we're selecting bulls going into a commercial herd. Some people will and some people won't. And mature cow weight has an impact of or is impacted by the potential cost of maintaining that particular cow and how much she consumes as she grows. If we sit back for a minute and we think about all those attributes, again, we need to look at the indexes first and then based on your personal breeding plan, then we look at a little bit more detail of what sits behind that to to choose the genetics that's going to mm. suit your situation. Yes, absolutely. Look, commercially, you just commercially you want your cows to continue to stay in your herd, and the, you know we we can't look at fertility at exclusion to growth at exclusion. We generally have got to consider all of these in the picture. But the idea is is that that if you look at a bull sale catalogue, you will find cows continually popping up in that catalogue more than once. So they just show the type of emphasis that we put on some of those elite cows to reproduce because they've got good good female attributes that are going to disseminate through our herd into other people's herds. Hopefully we'd helped you decipher some of the data that you see in bull sale catalogues from the, the dam side on this episode. And if mm. people are confused, of course, just give Sam a call and he'll be happy to talk you talk your way through it. Yep. On what's the phone number, Sam? On 0438792140 or on my email, samwhite at ballblair.com.au. And if you want a sneak peek arrives in your 
in your mailbox once you've ordered it jump on the angus australia website and you'll find the the catalog there and you can start to do the work behind the scenes to to determine which genetics you're going to pick up at the sale on tuesday the 3rd of august and i know there's a open day yep. the previous sunday on the sunday prior yes yep what mm. time and that'll be a, a between 10 and 2 so that just gives everybody an opportunity to come in and inspect bulls we have the bulls in pre-sale at that point simply to put their paint brands on to make it easier by sale time it'll take my team and i most of the day so there's just an opportunity to come and check bulls out all right Sam, been a pleasure. I'll see you back here in episode four where we're going to start to look at the traits that come in the progeny side in terms of, of data. You've been listening to The Data Breeder. Thanks to Elders Livestock for supporting this podcast. For expert advice and the best stud stock selling options, contact your local branch. For details, visit eldersrural.com.au. The Data Breeder was produced by Ed Campbell at Seek and Deploy's Armadale-based digital content lab. Visit seekdeploy.com.